Colby Daniels Podcast, along with Will Brewer. I am Colby Daniels. This is our weekly MMA episode, as we will uh, look back on UFC 266. We have been hyping up these pay-per-view cards for the last couple months as we close out 2021. UFC 266, 1,000% delivered. We'll also make our picks for UFC Fight Night, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, which if this fight is halfway as good as the face-off, which had me in tears, by the way, uh, it, we should be in for a treat. Will Brewer, what's happening, my friend? Man, you know, I thought, you know, doing this, you know, a little uh, later in the week than we normally would would make me be like, ah, you know, I'm not as excited about uh, the finish of UFC 266. But I can tell you a week later, I am still on cloud nine after what happened at UFC 266. It was an incredible night of fights from top to bottom. It absolutely delivered. Um, the, the main event was crazy. Uh, the return of Nick Diaz. I mean, every every single fight had something special in it. So uh, I was really excited uh, to come on here and talk about it. So let's do it, man. Well, let's jump right into the main event because that was a hell of a fight. We expected nothing less. I, you know, when we made our picks last week, I, I said that I was leaning Volkanovski, but to that point, we had we had both picked every fight the same. And for the sake of our point competition, that was the fight that I felt like probably closer than any other fight I would have been okay with taking the opposite side of. And and look, I, I thought that I made a decent case for why Brian Ortega could win that fight because I think from a ground standpoint, from a submission standpoint, he was going to submit a, a threat that Volkanovski hasn't seen in a while or, or maybe ever. Uh, but, but we knew that it was going to be advantage Volkanovski on the feet, and that's exactly what it was. I, I thought Alexander Volkanovski looked like the champion that he is. I thought that he looked as good as he's ever looked inside the octagon. And we also, at the same time, Will, got a round three that is as good a round as we've ever seen, especially in a title fight. Brian Ortega looked like he may have the potential to finish Volkanovski twice. I know one of those was incredibly close. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I legitimately got out of my seat because I had almost not necessarily resigned to the fact that Volkanovski was going to win the fight, but I kind of just, what we had seen to that point, I was like, this is what this fight is going to be. And out of nowhere, it's like Ortega just sees this slight opening of a window and he jumps into that. I mean, and I jumped out of my seat and I was like, it's over, it's done. And I know sometimes we, you know, we laugh about the broadcast crew. Like every time somebody attempts a submission, they're like, oh, that's in, it's deep. He's in trouble. And uh, that one really was deep, and Volkanovski really was in trouble, and I thought it was over. It was crazy that Volkanovski was able to get out of that. But, I mean, it just shows you that he is a a champion. And, again, he absolutely dominated that fight on the feet. I think we all kind of get caught up in what a great fight that was, how tough Brian Ortega was, how close Brian Ortega was to almost taking out the champ. But we also have to remember, that was a pretty dominant win at the same— for as great as that fight was, it was a pretty dominant win by Volkanovski. Oh, man, where do I even start, man? Uh, A lot to unpack with that fight, man. Yeah, so much to unpack. Uh, Like you said, uh, Volkanovski really had uh, the advantage on the feet. Um, Just in the first two, in the first two and a half rounds, uh, he really separated himself. Like he said in the lead up, like um, what you did against the Korean zombie was was good and everything, but you got to fight my fight. And that's exactly what it looked like for the first two, uh, two rounds. Going into that third, you know, it just seemed like unless Ortega did something you know, to stop this momentum that Volkanovski was gaining, it was going to just be the same, uh, the same thing. I literally tweeted, I, I was tweeting like Ortega's going to have to do something like uh, wrap up a submission uh, to change this fight. He needs to find a way to get into a submission uh, situation. As I'm finishing that tweet, 
that's when um, Ortega just automatically, I don't know how it happened so fast, but he saw the opportunity, jumps on the guillotine, a mounted guillotine where he's got his legs wrapped. When I saw that, I'm like, it's over. Look, Cub Swanson, we know how tough that guy is. Cub Swanson was in a was in a, a standing guillotine by Ortega, and he literally said right. after the fight that he thought he was going to die, and he and he was tapping like his life depended on it. Yeah. When I saw Volkanovski in that mounted triangle with his legs wrapped, you see his he's starting to kick his legs out and stuff. I'm like, it's over. He's going out. It, like it, it, it's a wrap. Like I'm, I'm literally just waiting for either the tap or it's just for him to go out. And for him to get out of that, I was completely blown away. I did not. I didn't think you know out of all the people to to have a submission fully locked in. Brian Ortega is the last person that I thought would uh, that someone would escape out of his uh, out of his submission. It was crazy. Great. And then after after he got out, Volkanovski just completely started raining down like punches, like you motherfucker, how dare you almost take my damn title? <laughs> it was so crazy. And then he finished that round. Um, he finished that round on top of him in, in a dominant position. But it was it, it was in the third round also where he almost got uh, when he got in the triangle as well, right? Yeah, yeah, same round. Yeah. It was in the same round where he where he got in the uh, in the triangle. See, I, I picked Volkanovski, so I'm telling him, get out of it, like get up, stand up. You're you're literally Just get away from him. him. Yeah, let him get yeah, on his feet. This is this is where he's most dangerous. And then he finds himself in a triangle by T City, which is Triangle City. Like, come on, Volkanovski. Like, I thought the triangle was definitely gonna ah. put him out, but it was crazy. And uh, man. For him to get out of that and uh, put on the performance that he did, uh, it was crazy. Ortega showed uh, uh, ultra uh, ultra level of toughness uh, to finish that uh, to finish that round, finish those uh, those championship rounds when it looked like he was completely gassed after he uh, tried those submission attempts. Yeah. Uh, even you know Herb was in his face like, "How many fingers am I holding up?" I literally don't think he answered any of them right. I don't think until... he did either. And Volkanovski <laughs> said in the post fight presser that he didn't answer any of them correctly, and he was like, "Why is this fight going on? Why is this thing continuing?" Yeah, he, he held up three fingers, and it looked like he was trying not to answer. He would, like, look away, and then when, when Herb hold up, held up that one, he's like, one. I was like, oh, okay. I'm going to give him the easiest one. <laughs> I think Volkanovsky said at one point they were like, follow my finger, and Ortega literally looked in the wrong direction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was out of it, man. Uh, yeah. Like, it was it was kind of similar to what uh, to what, he, what happened with Max. Uh, his face was beat up, but um, you just can tell, like, Ortega's – He's so tough. Uh, he's got championship toughness. He's got championship uh, jujitsu. Um, he still has a ways to go with it, with his striking. But I mean, when it comes to Alexander and Max, those these are two of the best fighters in the world, pound for pound. I mean, if Ortega's a step below them, that's not a bad place to be. If you're the best out of basically everyone at 145, but you just you're just a step behind uh, Volkanovski and, and Max Holloway, that's a good step to that's a good spot to be at because he's still evolving and he's still very yeah. young. Look, I, I think if you want to talk about the greatest featherweight of all time, the conversation, I think, for most people involves two guys, and it's Aldo and Holloway. And Volkanovski has gone 3-0 and against those dudes. Right. 3-0 and against the two guys that most people would consider to be the goat of that division. Yeah, and, uh, and it, the, of course, the second fight with Max seemed like it was a struggle, but that first fight, I felt like Volkanovski won, not in a blowout, but he kind of won that kind of easy. Yeah, uh, I, I, that was. I, I agree with you. I watched that fight, and I thought that was clear-cut win for Volkanovski. And and the, the second one I thought was way closer, and we talked about this last week. I think in real time, and, and I admitted, part of this was probably also me wanting to see Max win. I don't think there was any question Max won the first two rounds of that fight. Round three was very debatable, and I think it, it was probably just one of those watching Max fight as well as he did in those first two rounds, probably rooting for Max a little bit. Um, right. I scored it for Max the first time. And then I think it was clear cut that Volkanovski had won the last two. Uh, I rewatched it like a week later, and 
I rewatched that third round and watching it the second time after I kind of removed myself from, you know, wanting to see Max win, I, I, I did score it for Volkanovski. So it was a close round. I think there's a conversation to be had that maybe Max did win that fight, but anybody that says that was a robbery is out of their yeah. mind. I mean, that, that third round was close enough that, sure, it could have gone either way, but I also think rewatching it, I mean, I, I, I for as much as I even wanted to give it to Max, I was like, I think Volk got that one. Yeah, Max definitely came out, showed uh, that he made the adjustments and took those first two rounds pretty easy, dropped him twice at the end of the rounds. The third round, it was pre- it was very close, but you could tell the momentum was starting to shift as the round was coming to a close. So Volkanovski ended that round in a very good spot. Then he started using his grappling and everything. So um, at the time, you know, I wasn't sure who had won because Volkanovski finished all those rounds in a very good in a very good position, and uh, I thought it could have went either way. I mean, it was very uh, deserving of a split decision for either guy. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad if Volkanovski or Holloway won. That's just how close it was. And then, of course, in the first fight, Volkanovski won that pretty easily. So, um, you know, Max, you know, he's got to do some work to get back. I think he knows that. But, you know, he he beat Calvin Cater. Everyone wants to see uh, Volkanovski and Max fight next. Um, I don't know. I don't know how how much I want to see Max fight that year. I mean, I guess it's going to happen now. It's already signed and stuff. But could you imagine like Volkanovski coming off of his performance against Ortega and then what we saw from Max against Calvin Cater? I think you put that fight next. Like everyone's gonna be, everyone's gonna be wanting to see, like, how does Max look after a, after a dominant win over Calvin Cater, and, and then Volkanovski's finally getting the respect he deserves. He's fi- he finally did something outside of Max. He finally um, won a fight that had nothing to do with Max Holloway. Got earned the the people's yeah. respect. Show how showed how much of a warrior that he is. Now everyone's saying like, man, that Volkanovski, man, he's he's tough, you know. Yeah. Um, and and. He's always been that. It's just that we haven't really gave him the respect that he deserves because Max is so beloved. I think after Max won that first fight, um, everyone was kind of just thinking like, okay, it's only a matter of time until Max gets his belt back. The fight happens um, in July, uh, last July, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's razor close, but Volkanovski's still champion. So everyone's thinking like Max should be champion now, uh, but we're not giving uh, Volkanovski the respect he deserves. I think now we're finally starting to uh, appreciate what Volkanovski brings to the table. Yeah, there's no question. And look, I, I don't... I, I'm all for the Max Yair fight. I think I think it's a. I mean, sure there could be an upset. I like Max in that fight. I I, I don't know how many people are going to pick against Max in that fight, but I, I for I don't know why it's happening. Honestly, like if it if it didn't already take place now that Volkanovski Ortega is settled after such a long period of time, like why delay that thing any further? Right. This this is a division that's been on hold for a while because of. Volkanovski and the COVID situation, and then because they had to go through tough and you know do film that whole thing. I mean, this division has been held up for a while. Why wait another two months to get Max and Yair in the octagon when Max is? The, it's not like I mean Yair hasn't been active. I mean, there's no there's no debate as to who should be next in line. These aren't two guys that are on equal footing as far as deserving a title shot. This is one thousand percent Max Holloway. Let's pick a date. And get another title fight on the books, right? I, so I don't, I don't, I like the fact that they're going to fight. I'm going to love watching that fight. But for the sake of that division and the title and keeping things moving, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me for those guys to wait till November to fight and then get through that one before we decide to pick a, a date for the, the featherweight championship. So um, anyway, I, I just, I, I, I don't get it. But uh, how about Volkanovski, by the way, doing the shoey in the post fight presser? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm 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 tapped out. Uh, I'm not signed up. I'm not. I'm never gonna do a shoey. But I think just for you know him winning that title or winning that fight in the way it, in the way it did, you know that's a 
a Aussie thing to do. I don't know where that, how it started, where it came from, but hey. Why don't we go shoey for whoever loses <laughs> our our pick'em? Loser has to do a shoey. Well, now that you, now that you say that, and I, if I'm correct, I think I'm, I have a pretty good. You lead. have a so pretty a sizable lead, man. Pretty <laughs> sizable lead, yeah. I think I think we yeah let's do a shoey okay. man. Okay. If if if, I, if you come back and beat me, I deserve to do a shoey okay. with someone else's uh, shoe or loogie or whatever the case yeah. is. If I lose this, I deserve it. <laughs> All right, shoey on the line. Uh, you went into last week plus eleven on the scorecard. Um, five points up for grabs last week because we were only on the opposite side of one fight, and that was the main event. Five points up for grabs. You got Volkanovski, so plus sixteen for Will Brewer. And uh, look, there are, there are some big pay-per-view cards with some big fights, so there is an opportunity to climb back into this thing. But like I said last week, there's also the opportunity that you're up by 70 with the dust settles. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's not going in my direction uh, over the last month or so. All right, the co-main event. Uh, well, I don't know how much time we need to spend on this, but uh, this was, I think, inevitable. Valentina Shevchenko over Lauren Murphy. And look, this is just 1,000% a credit to Valentina Shevchenko and the champion that she is. Yeah, man. Um, it, it it gets to a point where you're just wondering who at that division, like what can they do to just uh, to get her off track, to get her off course? Because all these fights is it's it's just a matter of time. It's either uh, Valentina's gonna finish her. It's just it's just win, you know. Uh, she's had a, a few decisions, but for uh, for a majority of her title reign, it's been finishes. And uh, you know, Laura Murphy, she definitely talked a good game. You know, she said that. Um, uh, Valentina's never fought anyone as tough as her, as big as her, that can put it all together like her. And, you know, Valentina, you know, she was just like, everyone says this, you know, everybody says that they, uh, ha- that I haven't seen anybody like them. And every single time that she, that Valentina fights, it's always the same thing. She's just showing that, that she's levels above everyone. Um, I don't know, you know, she's basically cleared out this division. There's basically, it, there's nobody. I mean, you have to look like deep down the rankings, uh, to see, to find someone who she hasn't beaten. But at the same time, these are fighters who have, uh, who have lost like in their last two fights, you know, in their, or in their last three. So then they win one fight. Oh, let's throw let's throw her in there with Valentina. And there's still such a gap <laughs> that yeah. they're not going to be able to make up in the time that that they're allotted to fight Valentina. It's um it's a tough situation to be in, but I think at this point, um, I don't think there's anybody for her at that division. I think it, I think now's the the best the best time if it, if there's ever been a time to have that Nunez and Shevchenko trilogy. I think if Amanda gets by um, Juliana Pena in December, yeah. I think you go ahead and uh, look into that one, man, because uh, there's nothing really interesting for either of those women at um, at any of their weight classes. So um, that fight between Nunez and Shevchenko, a third fight, I mean, Shevchenko, she's now a champion, and she didn't have that championship experience when she fought Nunez the first, the, either, either time. So uh, it will be interesting to see uh, what that dynamic looks like uh, with Valentina having fought her twice and having championship experience now. Yeah, I, I'm with you. If, if you're going to if you're gonna have a trilogy between, I think at this point, arguably the two most dominant females in, in UFC history, you right. want to do it at least when we both, when we all feel like they're still at the top, right? And we're not seeing the, the signs of a decline. And look, I, I know there are still a lot of people that uh, would argue that Shevchenko should have won the second one, right? I mean, it was a, it was a really good fight, could have gone either way. I, I'm with, I, let's do it. Like, let's make it happen. Um, I don't think it has to take away from either one of these two people as, as far as the dominance and how great they are. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's obviously a massive feather in the cap for the winner. But, I mean, where else do you go? I mean, there's just, there's nowhere right. else to go. 
I mean, there's nobody right now in the entire sport that you can legitimately say is even like, does anybody come into a, a, a pay-per-view less or what is it more or less than like minus 1000? <laughs> well, is there is there a is there a fighter walking this earth that could get in the octagon with either Shevchenko or Nunes in their divisions and come in as a better underdog than like minus a thousand? I don't know that there is. Like, there's nobody that that even gives us the illusion of a a coin flip type fight. Yeah, not none of them. I think um, I think when I looked at the betting line for Nunes and uh, Juliana Pena, I think. I don't believe that Nunez was a minus 1,000 favorite. I could be wrong, but I don't believe it was. Um, Pena has that style that uh, kind of can get to Nunez as far as uh, pushing the pace and uh, grappling and stuff. But, um, yeah, it, you know, for, you know, for me, I really want to see Valentina and Amanda. I want to see what that looks like again uh, in a third fight. Both of these ladies have championship experience, and there's there's nothing for them at, at any of these divisions. They've both basically cleared out their divisions. And, uh, there's not even a featherweight division really in the UFC. Um, and then uh, Nunes has basically beaten every 135er who's of of any importance outside of Juliana Pena. And Valentina is completely decimated through her uh, through 125. So, you know, at this point, th- this is the right time to make a trilogy fight that you've had a lot of questions about where uh, one fighter has won two of them. This is the time, you know, one fighter has cleared out the division of one division. The yeah. other one has cleared out the division of the, of the other. So, yeah. This is the best time to do it, man. Uh, it, and these are the two best women's fighters in UFC history, in my opinion. So uh, there's there's no other fight that's more intriguing in women's MMA than that one. By the way, early odds on uh, on Nunez, minus 750 for that, uh, what is it, December matchup? Yeah, December 11th. Yeah. So anyway. It's my birthday. I'm trying that... to get to there. <laughs> nice. I'm only six <laughs> days before, so uh, December 5th. So we, man, we, so we might need to go. Yeah. We, might, we might need to try to go out there. Birthday for that presents, fight. yeah, yeah, birthday presents, and uh, after I'm sure we'll know who's going to be the winner out, around that time, and then we can uh, we can do the shoey then. Do the shoey, yeah, at the arena <laughs> that night. <laughs> like, we can, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. All right, uh, continuing on. I don't know about you, just watching Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler walk to the octagon, I was like just overjoyed, and you know I say this all the time, but like nostalgia, nostalgia is a hell of a drug, right? Like. Nostalgia just makes you, it gives you the warm and fuzzies. You're like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, I got, I, I, I feel like I'm so conflicted about what we watched because, like, Nick Diaz's hands look terrific, right? Like, <laughs> you're like Nick Diaz. The hands were fantastic. It was, it was kind of everything else that uh, left a little bit to be desired. Uh, Robbie Lawler was exactly what we thought he was going to be. He was going to come forward. He was going to throw no matter what he was hit with. I mean, this was a classic Robbie Lawler fight. Unfortunately, over the course of this fight week and, and even in the fight. Nick Diaz never really looked like the Nick Diaz that we know, and we both picked Robbie Lawler because, I mean, to, to have that kind of layoff, no matter who you are, and yeah. go fight a stand-up fight against Robbie Lawler? Like, I yeah. don't care if, if people want to make the argument that Robbie has has uh, aged and is no longer the same guy that he used to be. He is still going to come forward. He's never going to stop coming forward. No matter what you hit him with, he's not going to stop coming forward. That is a tall task for anyone that's not been in the octagon for a year or two, much less somebody that has been out of the sport for as long as Nick Diaz. So the result was, I think, the way that, that we both anticipated. Um, you know, Nick Diaz, again, just he hasn't been in there for so long. And and look, I think from a personality standpoint, from a mentality Nick Diaz is a different person than he was uh, in 20, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013. Like, he's a different guy. He, uh, he, he doesn't have the, I, I think he called it the, uh, the what, the gangster mentality anymore. Yeah. Uh, so... 
I don't know. I, is there is there is there a market for Nick Diaz to get in the octagon again after this one? I think there is because um, you know throughout the whole fight week, it was it was weird. It you know, I thought that Nick Diaz, you know, his whole antics of, and everything that he was saying in the lead up. I just thought that was typical Nick Diaz. You know, of course he doesn't want to be in there. You know, he says this all the time. He doesn't like to do media, so I think he's just like, he's just talking. But, you know, it actually seemed like when he was in there, like he didn't really understand like why this fight was happening. He didn't, he wasn't really locked into it like you uh, would have hoped that he was. I think there's another element that Nick Diaz can reach. Of course, he looked out of shape. Uh, there's, there's this picture going around uh, of him from from April and he's looking shredded. His face looks uh, looks great. Doesn't look his cheeks don't look chubby and everything. And then at the weigh-ins in September, um, he's looking like a like he's gained twenty pounds. So um, I think if Nick and this Diaz fight had comes, to take place at one eighty five, like right, like a, like fight week, they decided that it wasn't going to be a welterweight fight. Right. Yeah. It, on fight week, like who who does that? Like it's just Nick Diaz. He wasn't you know he wasn't committed to this fight uh, like he's been in the past. So and I think it showed in the fight, but. While he was in there, you could you could see that there was still some there was still something there um, outside of the the spin kick or whatever that started the fight. Uh, throughout the fight, uh, his hands looked nice. Uh, it didn't really seem like there was a lot of power behind him, but he's more of a volume guy, anyways. Um, but yeah, N- Nick Diaz, uh, it looked like there's something there. Uh, after six years away, you have to get, put him in there with somebody who's actually going to get him up and actually you know get him motivated. Uh, a fight with Robbie Lawler, a guy who he has already beat. Even though it was 17 years ago, um, that didn't really intrigue him. So I think you put him in there with a guy uh, that he wants to prove himself against. Um, there's a market out there. I think the perfect fight to make, um, put Nick Diaz in there with Cowboy Cerrone. And, oh, there and, you go. And, and make, uh, actually force Nick Diaz to, to make the weight this time. Uh, get in shape, you know. Uh, I don't know. He has to be in shape, though, because, yeah. uh, you, know, that, you know, seeing him in the octagon and seeing his stomach – like that man i mean nick diaz is so skinny like in uh in in his previous in the previous years he's been so little and seeing him like that it just wasn't you know yeah so if if nick diaz can be locked in i want to see him fight again if not you know i don't really care to see him fight again. yeah and, and and look nick diaz is even with the layoff as celebrated i mean the diaz brothers period are as celebrated yeah. fighters as, as there are in the entire sport so when i say is there a market for him like yes of course if he's in the octagon everyone watching is going to want to see nick diaz do well and support him i just mean in terms of authentically getting something that that people really want to see outside of just hey nick diaz is fighting i, I don't know if there is or not but to your point i think uh i think that would be a good situation and i, I think that uh yeah, make him make the weight in that matchup. Yeah, I, I would I would buy into that for sure. Yeah, I mean, even though Cowboy has lost like uh, his last four or whatever, uh, people look at that matchup with uh, Cowboy and Nick Diaz, and they'll just think about all the the glory years. They'll think yeah. about how good that matchup would have been five, six, seven years ago. Um, they'll think about how big of names that both of these guys are. So um, we we'll look at it as kind of what it is, but we'll think about how special of a matchup that it is. So um, I definitely think that. Uh, a Nick Diaz Cowboy Cerrone fight could be a, like a co-main event on on a card. Um, they those two names hold weight, so I think that would be a a good situation for for both. Curtis Blades, Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Once again, this one went uh, Curtis Blades' direction uh, as we both anticipated. We kind of thought this fight was going to go in different ways. Uh, what did you think about uh, the heavyweight matchup? Yeah, you know, Curtis Blades, he's not going to be in any exciting fights. Uh, I think even more so now, he's going to play it safe because of. Uh, 
because of getting knocked out by Derek Lewis and Francis. Um, I think uh, he did what he had to do to win and uh, to get back on the on track. Uh, that that knee that Jarzinho landed though definitely uh, wore on him. You, you know yeah. his eyes shut was basically shut throughout the last round of the fight. But uh, you know it kind of went how I expected, man. Um, Jarzinho, you know once he got taken down, he kind of just let his foot off the gas. wasn't as aggressive as he was at at the beginning. And um, when you're not as aggressive like that, it basically it plays right into the hands of Blades. Uh, you know he was worrying so much about the takedown that he, that Jarzinho wasn't uh, opening up. So yeah. Um, you know that you know it, it's tough, man, uh, for Jarzino. You know he's a he's a this type of fight in the heavyweight division is kind of a crossroads fight, and he's he's just kind of fell into a tier below the top guys, and where he's kind of going to be fighting these younger guys who's coming up like the Augusto Sakai's and you know Tom Aspinall's, and he might be more of a gatekeeper than uh than a contender. So um, it sucks for Jarzino because he had such a good start, but you know Curtis Blades, props to him. He did what he had to do to get it done. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think the bottom line is he's a Derek Lewis 2.0, right? I mean, he is. Yeah. A, another version of Derek Lewis, obviously not as polished. From a, I'm just gonna can everybody that I face, but I mean, that's that's the kind of fighter he is. And when you face somebody that has, I think, a more versatile skill set, he's he's in trouble if he doesn't land the one big shot. Yeah, man, and uh, Derek Lewis, um, for. I mean, say what you will about Derek Lewis, but uh, over the years, he's really developed a really solid fight IQ. And uh, it's sure. taken him a long. It's taken him a long way, man. Uh, the the performance against Curtis Blades, um, I definitely didn't expect that um, for him to just lay back and just make Curtis Blades come in with the sloppy shot and then time that uppercut. I mean, that just goes to show how far he's come in the sport. Because there was a time when Derek Lewis would have came and just been really, really sloppy and just allowed Curtis Blades to have his way with him. But um, for for Jarzino, man, it's it, it's tough because I I feel like he's kind of a more skilled striker than than Derek Lewis. Um, probably not as powerful, but uh, he, he can throw in kicks and uh, and everything. Um, but he you know, he just can't put it all together. He, there's a very uh, big gap in, in his grappling. Um, but you know that but Curtis Blades is a very solid grappler. He's probably the best in the division. But I think most people with uh, any type of grappling uh, will give Jarzino trouble. Yeah. All right, the, uh, the, the pay-per-view main card began with Jessica Andrade and Cynthia Calvillo. Again, this one pretty much as expected, all Jessica Andrade. Yeah, man, I, didn't, I just didn't think that there was anything that Cynthia could do to really affect Jessica Andrade. Um, Andrade is, is bigger, stronger, more skilled, um, and, you know, there wasn't really anything that Calvillo could do. And once Jessica hurt her, it was a wrap. So um, this, is, this is one of those cases about flyweight. If, if Calvillo would have won that fight, she would have got the next title shot. Yeah. But now that Andrade won, um, you know, it's, there's kind of just like what happens next because um, she's, she's number one in the flyweight contender rankings, but I don't think she wants to fight Valentina again. So, um, yeah, that, that, that division, this fight is a perfect example of how crazy Valentina's reign is. Yeah, no doubt. Feature prelim on Saturday night. Good Lord. Ooh. Bantamweights, <laughs> Marab Devalishvili and uh, Marlon Marais. Will, this thing was wild. I mean, Marais rocks Marab. Uh, Marab then, you know, turns the tide again. This thing was, I mean, just wildly exciting. We talked about that uh, round three in the main event. I mean, the way that this thing started was was just fireworks. Man, it was a crazy, crazy fight. And this is why we said, like, we need to, like, put points on these prelims because these prelims are, are too good. Yeah. To have uh, Marab and, and Marlon Marais as the feature prelim, we like we had to talk about that one. But um, the fight, you know, I didn't expect Marlon to 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 land something as big as he did in the, in the opening round. 
definitely rocked um, Marab, but I think it worked to his detriment, right? Because he tried to put everything into finishing him. And when he didn't finish him, he basically had nothing left. And Marab was able to, I mean, props to Marab for showing his toughness. Surviving, yeah. Uh, to, to survive that that uh, onslaught by uh, Marlon Marais. Not many people can survive uh, taking that many big shots from, uh, from Marlon Marais. I mean, just look at his record. Look at the guys that he's taken out. I mean, ask your boy Aljo how taking a big shot from Marlon Marais went. So uh, for, for Marab to, to survive that and then basically just uh, take it to him, and you could just tell after that round was over, Marlon Marais had nothing left. And I think— He's always had the gas think, tank issue, right? And, and, he's always had yeah. the gas tank issue, yeah. And I think that's why we haven't seen him open up in his previous three fights because if he, if he were to do that, like he, he gets tired so fast and it takes so much out of him to be as aggressive as he, as he is— um, I think just this fight was a perfect example of it. And it took me right back to the Henry Cejudo fight and uh, watching him just completely gas out and watching Henry beat him. So uh, it still seems like uh, Marais is still having those gas tank issues. Uh, he almost got the finish, but, you know, props to Marab. And, you know, Marab is he's on his way up, man. It's uh, it's special to watch a guy like Marab fight, man. Marab's a problem for anybody that has a good gas tank. Much right. less somebody that, that, you know, that's a question mark. And that was, for me, I mean, when we made the picks, this was an easy pick for me. Right. Gas tank, right? Marab is going to suffocate you in this fight, and he is going to completely wear you down with his volume and his pace. And I just I, I didn't know how Marlon Marais was going to win this other than getting an early finish. Because, look, massive advantage for Marlon on the feet and massive advantage for Marlon at the beginning of a fight. But if you're able to survive the, the early stages of round one, um, and, and especially if you're able to get Marlon off his feet, uh, this, this, was a, this was a horrible matchup, I think, for Marlon. So the only way he was going to win this was finishing the fight like in the first minute or two on the feet. And, and he almost did it, and Marab survived it. And when Marab survived it, I thought, this is it. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know how, how uh, this is going to go any other way. Um, I, it, you know, we kind of talked about this last week, Crossroads fight for Marlon Marais as well. I'm curious to see what happens because uh, you look at, you know, what, what he's done over the last, like, two years now, and it's not trending in a positive direction. And we've seen a bunch of these guys that the UFC has viewed as, you know, getting a little bit older in a stacked division that are somewhat on a losing streak. And, you know, what, is, what does the future look like for a lot of those guys? It's not been uh, in the UFC. So, um, I just, what a horrible matchup, I think, for Marlon, but... All the credit in the world for uh, Marab and just the the complete animal that this guy is. Holy cow. I mean, I, I don't know how. Nobody wants to take that fight. There's no question in my mind that anybody wants to fight that guy. Yeah, he's the uh, <laughs> he's the boogeyman of the division. Like, <laughs> like I remember watching uh, Usman come up, and nobody wanted to fight Kamar Usman. It's kind of the same thing with uh, with Islam. Nobody wants to fight Islam because they know what type of fight that they're getting into. Yeah. It's the same thing with Marab. Nobody wants to fight him. And, you know, I think Aljo's kind of at a at a good point because he doesn't have to fight him. Like, they're, right. they're, they're, they're right. boys, they're teammates, so they're never going to fight. Um, so if I'm Aljo, I'm like, yeah, Marab, go beat all these guys, take them out of my way, <laughs> and yeah. uh, I'll be I'll still be champion. But, uh, yeah, Marab has said time and time again he won't fight Aljo. But um, it's kind of it's kind of to a point where we might have to start having the discussion, like, what if Marab, yeah. you know, because Marab is climbing these ranks. There's not going to be many people for Marab to fight. Um, of course, he's he's probably entered the top 10 or uh, top uh, eight, seven, eight. So um, there's some, there's still some good fights out there for him, but um, he's number six, man. Oh my Yeah. Wow. So he's in the top six. Yeah. So he, he's right under the top five. So uh, this division is loaded. Um, and I think he was like, what number 11 before this fight. And now he's all the way up at number six. Like 
Like the writing's on the wall. Like Marab is coming. Yeah. Uh, he's a terrible matchup for all of these guys. So um, we'll see what, what's next for him. I don't really know off the top of my head what would be a good matchup for him because a lot of guys are booked and or, or hurt. Um, right. But you know, Marab, he, he's he's special, man. Yeah, they should have just given him. Pewter. I mean, I'm I'm really happy for Corey Sanhagen that he's getting the Pewter Yawn fight. But I mean, if you wanted to to give us, you know, the uh, the soap opera angle, I mean. Putting Marab in Aljo's place uh, against Peter Yawn would have been pretty fun. If I'm the if I'm the UFC, I'm sure they kicked that idea around. I'm, I'm sure, sure they did. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm even sure they offered that to Marab. The problem is, if uh, Marab wins, you have a real problem on your hands, that's right? A real, that's a real problem. Yeah, and and like at this point, the the chances of Marab winning are pretty pretty good. Yeah, it's so. a legitimate chance. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean no, no, Peter Yawn is tough, but Marab's style is is draining for everybody in that division. So, um, yeah. Marab wins that fight, and then you got two champions who probably won't even fight each other, or whatever the case is. Uh, yeah, that would be a, a very massive problem. But I'm—I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about Peter Yan and Corey Sanhagen. Yeah. I mean, I know that you thought that uh, Sanhagen beat Dillashaw, so maybe the MMA gods are are throwing you a bone on this one. Like maybe uh, Sanhagen did win this one, <laughs> win that fight against Dillashaw, and now we're seeing um, Peter Yan, who who many people think should still be champion. And then uh, Corey Sanhagen, who's probably the number one guy in a lot of people's minds. So yeah. I love the matchup. Very intriguing, very interesting. Um, but, you know, I'm a little worried about Aljo, though, because say he's not ready to fight by the time the winner of uh, Sanhagen and Jan is ready to fight. You still got TJ Dillashaw out there. There's a very good chance that Aljo could get stripped um, of this title if he's not ready to fight uh, by next year. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I think that's a very real possibility. And. We'll talk all about that division and Jan Sanhagen and all of that coming up uh, maybe next week or the week after. Uh, Hooker Hackparast, uh, we we documented last week just the, I mean, all of the elements that these guys had to go through just to make this fight happen. Um, this is another one we'll get into Hooker and, and Mahashev a little bit uh, later in another podcast. But, uh, I mean, just for both of these guys to even get inside the octagon was awesome. Um we both thought, you know, Dan Hooker advantage in this matchup, and and that's what happened. I, again, I, it's it's more than anything, you just have to appreciate that both guys were even able to make this fight, make the weight, and the fight actually took place considering where we were at this time a week ago. Yeah, man, for them to both be able to just get in the octagon with all of the obstacles that they had to face, uh, Nash right with his, with his mother passing and the visa issues, and then Dan, of course, with his own visa issues, um, there was a lot of reasons for this fight not to happen. Uh, there was a lot of reasons for them to be like, you know, I'm not going to be able to make the weight. Uh, you know, um, my mind's not in it. <clears throat> but, you know, both of these guys, um, they both may wait on the plane, uh, on the plane over to Vegas. Uh, all those hours spent up in the air and they're making weight. Um, and then they go out there and they put on a, a pretty solid fight, man. Uh, it definitely didn't go how I thought it was going to go. I thought these guys were just going to be like, OK, let's just go have a slugfest. But um, it, there was actually some tactical fighting, some technical fighting. Yeah. Um Dan Hooker showing that he was good, that he was better on the feet, but also uh, better on the ground. So it was a very uh, overall, very solid performance by Dan Hooker. He did what he had to do to win. Uh, very, very good performance from both of them. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm still blown away that this fight even happened, but props to both of them for making it. We both kind of alluded to this last week. I mean, Hooker just, I think, overall has more in the arsenal. Uh, and regardless of which way this, whether it was just a slugfest or it was somewhat tactical, I think either way, it's it's still advantage Hooker because Hooker just has more weapons to beat uh, Hack Perast with uh, in the way that he can kind of involve the different aspects of his game. So, um, yeah, and, and again, like I said, we'll get into Hooker, Mahashev uh, maybe next week. 
All right, before we move on to fight night picks, uh, the last fight that we made a pick on, UFC 266. How about Chris Dacus, man? We've talked all about the new blood in the UFC heavyweight division. This is one of those guys that uh, has a massive rising star next to his name, and he's about to get a big fight, by the way, after this uh, this finish of Shamil Abdurakimov. Yeah, if I Chris nailed Dacus. that name, if I nailed it. Oh, yeah, you did nail that one. I mean, I was listening to them <laughs> say it on the broadcast. I was like, yeah, Kobe's definitely saying this right. Um, Chris Dacus, man, uh, very special. Uh, he's got a very, uh, he's got a very good skill set, and uh, to knock out uh, Shamil the way he did, you know, that's no easy task. You know, Derek Lewis struggled to knock out uh, Shamil in their fight. Um, he's a very guard, a very hard guy to finish, even at heavyweight, and even with the layoff, um, I, I thought it was gonna be really tough for Dacus to to finish him. Even though I did pick him, I thought it was gonna be more of a decision where he just showed that he was just a better fighter. But for him to go out there and finish him. Uh, Chris Dacus, man, he's he's definitely going up. And um, this heavyweight division, man, the new blood, like the Surreal Guns, Tom Aspinall's, Chris Dacus, like they're they're really showing that they're they're adding new life to this heavyweight division. It's special to see. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's make our picks for tonight's UFC Fight Night. Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker once again. Will Brewer, you are plus sixteen on the scoreboard. So massive lead. You will begin our selections. We begin in the lightweight division of the UFC. We have Alexander, the great Hernandez and Mike Breeden, Alexander Hernandez, 12 and four Breeden, 10 and three Oddshark.com has uh here we go. Alexander Hernandez minus 300 Breeden plus 250. Yeah, man, I think, uh, you know, I've watched enough of Alexander Hernandez to know that, uh, He's a very, very talented fighter. Um, he goes out there and he brings it every night. Um, yeah, it, it's hard for me to pick against Alexander Hernandez in this one, so I'm going to go with uh, with Alexander the Great. I am as well, and I think for me the biggest question here is just what what do what level of improvement do we see from him? Because this is a guy that's had you know a lot of uh, a lot of anticipation and you know projection as to how high he could go in this division, and you know even going back to the last fight against who was it Tiago Moises, I believe. Right. I remember him like making the case that he thought he had won the fight and it was a robbery. And I think everybody watching that fight thought that it was a clear cut win on Moises's part. And I like what fight are you watching, right. man? Um, <laughs> so you you hope for a guy that has had the expectations that this guy has that um, he starts to put it all together and you see massive improvement. But uh, I mean, again, this is another guy that when you just look at how talented he is for him to, to not even have a number next to his name in that division is is pretty amazing. Yeah, man, uh, he's a special fighter, man. He can go. He goes out there and he brings it every night. Uh, just he in in those big spots. In those, I remember he fought Cowboy Cerrone um, on on ESPN one one time, and uh, there was a big it was a big spot for him. But he completely just didn't look like the same type of fighter. So I think it, these fights um, against these guys who aren't as polished, who aren't as known, he really brings it. But I think uh, in the big spots, he really has to, some work to do. So this is just a stepping stone for him, a stepping stone type fight. But he still needs to be careful because. Um, Mike Breeden, he's going to bring it as well. And Absolutely. he's a guy who's, I, I believe this is his UFC debut. So um, finding a guy like Alexander Hernandez uh, in, in your opening UFC bout, um, you're going to want to prove yourself. So um, Alexander's going to have to be careful. By the way, I, I forgot to mention this. Um, three o'clock start time does not make me very happy. <laughs> three o'clock. What are we doing, guys? What are we doing? Three o'clock start time for the main card? Why? <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I'm going to, here's, here's my game plan. I'm going to just avoid this all day long and I will probably fire it up, um, when the sun goes down tonight. So 
Good luck to you, my brother. Yeah, so no no, uh, no spoilers <laughs> for me. Um, all right, middleweight division. Yes, I said middleweight division, Will, because we have Misha Serkinov. Damn it, Misha. I can never <sighs> look at his name and not hear you yelling, damn it, Misha. Uh, Misha Serkinov dropping down from light heavyweight to middleweight to fight. Christoph Jocko. Misha Serkinov, 15 and 6 overall. Jotko, 22 and 5. Oddshark.com. This is frustrating because their odds are all over. Like, it's not in an order. They just have, right, like, right. all the fights in different places. Uh, we have Serkinov plus 140. Jotko is a minus 160 favorite. There's a lot of questions with this fight. Like, um, how how is Misha going to look at 185? He's going to have more power. He's going to be um, too sucked out from, from, a, from a big weight cut. I think this is a good matchup for him to enter the middleweight division in. Uh, I think it gives him the opportunity to win this fight and actually like jump into the rankings pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but Jocko is no um, easy fight at all for anybody. Um, there's, there's still so many questions. I'm kind of uh, on the fence on if I really want to pick Misha Serkinov after I picked him and he let me down. I think you kind <laughs> of owe it to him to pick him. And that way, even if he doesn't get it done, then you get the, uh, the catchphrase usage. I get the catchphrase again. Yeah, man. You know what? I'm, I'm you know, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go all ahead right. and pick Misha Serkinov. All right. Uh, I'm going to give him one more chance. If, if he doesn't, if he lets me down again, I'm never picking him again. Yeah. All right. Uh, damn it, Misha. Uh, I was I was slightly leaning toward Misha, actually, um, but I'm glad that you get the pick so that if it doesn't go that way, uh, like I said, you get to use the catchphrase. But uh, I'll go Jotko for the sake of uh, of this being on the opposite side. And I look, to be in all transparency, even though I was leaning Misha, I was totally prepared to go on the opposite side of you whichever way you went in this fight. All right, uh, we have welterweights Nico Price and Alex Oliveira. Um, I mean, these guys are just gamers, right? I, I, I like this matchup just from the aspect that anytime you put either one of these two guys in the octagon, it, it usually results in a uh, pretty big war. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, 14-5 as... for Nico Price, 22-10-1 for Alex Oliveira. My bad, I didn't, uh, didn't I set that way. up the right way. Uh, Nico Price is a minus-140 favorite, plus-120 for Alex Oliveira. Yeah, I mean, of course, when you see these two guys, uh, anytime that they're in a fight, you know that it's going to be a war. Um, I think at this point, though, um, the wars are starting to wear on Alex Oliveira a little bit more than they are Nico Price. Um, Nico Price, he's been there, done that. He's still doing it. Uh, he still can win a lot of these wars. But with uh, Cowboy Oliveira, he's, he starts well in a lot of these fights, but he kind of um, he gets hit with a big shot or he finds himself in a tough uh, position pretty um uh, pretty frequently now. So um, I think with this one, I think Nico Price is going to be too much for him, and I um, will definitely pick Nico Price. Yeah, Nico Price for me as well. All right, co-main event is Kevin Holland versus Kyle Dawkins at 185. 21-7 overall for Kevin Holland, one of the stars of 2020. Kyle Dawkins, 10-2 and two overall. Oddshark.com has, as I scroll, because they're, again, I don't know why you wouldn't, like, put these in the order that they're going to happen. <laughs> Uh wow, minus one ten for each of these guys. That's that's pretty interesting. I, I mean, I don't. It's not too surprising because of uh, what Kyle Dawkins' style is. It's what Kevin Holland has had a lot of trouble with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, just Kevin Holland has been losing to the Derek Bruntons of the world, the Marvin Vittori's. Um, these are guys who are at the top of the division. And while uh, Kyle Dawkins should be res- respected and everything. Um, I don't think that, um, I don't think that he'll be as, as strong as those guys, uh, when it comes to grappling and Kevin Holland has actually been working on his grappling a little bit. And uh, I think the time off, um, has kind of helped him. So 
I'm going to go uh, Kevin Holland. I wouldn't be surprised if Doc has got it done, but uh, I'm going to um, have a little bit of faith in um, Kevin Holland, so I'm going with uh, Kevin Holland this one. This is Kevin Holland for me as well, and I, it's not even one that I really thought. Like I, Again, I, I think Kyle Dawkins is really talented, uh, but I, I just don't think he is yet on the same level as Kevin Holland, and to your point, right. I think there's probably just the reason these odds are where they are is because there's probably such a bad taste because of the matchups that Kevin Holland has had versus the fighter that he is and what this specific matchup looks like. I, I, I like Kevin Holland in this. Uh, but look, Kyle Dawkins is is not a pushover. He will absolutely uh, push Kevin Holland. If Kevin Holland is not uh, completely dialed in, then it's not out of the realm of possibility that Kyle Dawkins gets this done. So I think this is a fun fight, but it's it's uh, all Kevin Holland for me. Which takes us to our main event, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker at light heavyweight. Tiago Santos, 21-9 and nine overall. Johnny Walker, 18-5 and five overall. Oddshark.com has Santos at minus 171, plus 149 for Johnny Walker. Um, you know, uh, this is a very interesting fight um, because Johnny Walker, you know, we, we remember how, how good he looked when he first started in the UFC, knocking everyone out. Everyone thought, like, he's going to go and fight John Jones and, you know, he had a he was he had, he was on a rocket ship and then of course he did the worm and then all hell broke loose. So uh, <laughs> he he still hasn't found his footing since he's come back from that injury. Uh, he looked really good in his last fight against Ryan Spann. So I think there's some uh, there's something to build on off of that win. Um, but you know Tiago Santos is a different kind of beast and uh, you know it's kind of the same thing for Santos. You know he had a that injury after he fought Jones and he kind of hasn't really been the same. You know he fought. Um, he fought Glover. Well, the Glover fought. fight was amazing. Like it, that—that right. that was just an amazing fight that he just was on the wrong end of. But I, I don't know that I walked away from that thinking Tiago was. I mean, I was just like, "Holy cow, that was an awesome fight." Uh, the and then the Rockage fight for me was just like, neither one of them ever wanted to push the go button, right? Like it was just like, "What right. are we? What are we doing here?" I, I kind of wonder if it's kind of the same type of um, case as uh, a Marlon Marais. Maybe not as drastic with the gas tank, but. You know, maybe he's um, maybe he's trying to preserve himself early so he can be so he can still be good in the in the later rounds. The problem is against Rakic, he didn't really throw at all throughout 15 minutes. We're used to seeing Santos completely, you know, just go off um, uh, in his fights. Uh, if he if he's that guy, then it's easy to pick uh, Thiago Santos for me. But um, I don't know if he still has that in him. Um, and then if this fight's standing, Johnny Walker is always going to have a chance to, to land something because he's very explosive. He's very long, very tall. Yeah. So I'm actually going to go with uh, Johnny Walker with okay. this one. All right. I like I it. Think, uh, I think Santos, uh, I think he's taking a step back in terms of being as uh, being aggressive, being the guy who's going to come out and uh, uh, be very active. So um, I'm going with Johnny Walker. I think that uh, Johnny Walker is a completely 180 degree different challenge than Rockich was. And I think coming off of what the challenge that Glover was, Tiago didn't want to get into that same position with Rockich. So there was a hesitancy. I think this is a banger. I think both, I mean, yeah. both of these guys just have the opportunity to throw down. Both of these guys are capable of putting anyone's lights out. I go chin advantage Tiago Santos in this fight. Uh, so I'm going Tiago Santos. I, I hope that uh, either way, Let's just hope that it's a better fight than the last time we saw Tiago Santos in the octagon. <laughs> uh, and look, I mean, we, you know, the, the Johnny Walker-Ryan Span fight was was pretty wild for as long as that one lasted. So I'm kind of thinking this is going to be similar to Johnny Walker-Ryan Span, where they're going to they're gonna come forward, they're going to throw big blows, and uh, one guy is going down in the first round. So that's, that's kind of my anticipation for what we're going to see tonight. Or I should say this afternoon, <laughs> since we have this 3 o'clock main card start time. 
Uh, but there you go. All right, Tiago Santos for me, Johnny Walker for you in the main event. Like I said at the beginning of this, the the, uh, the face off at the weigh in was fantastic with Johnny Walker like getting all hyped up and breathing, yeah. and then Tiago yeah. Santos doing the like, "Ooh, I'm afraid" Ooh, with the fingers, yeah. and the Johnny Walker laughing. Like it 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 was really funny. I watched it like six times and laughed. Uh, but I am I am excited about uh, just the the fireworks that I feel like we're gonna see in this fight for like I said as long as it lasts. Will Brewer, I gotta run. Uh, busy day. But uh, always fun, my friend, and I hope that uh, the score the scoreboard's a little bit closer at this time next week. I don't. I'm not trying to do shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that is Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. Happy fight day, everyone. We will talk to you next week. Podcast is over.